Hey, the, uh, we're glad each one of you are here today. Uh, the old theologians used a phrase to describe uh, the sense of unity in the church, uh, that sense of togetherness. Uh, and I'm saying old theologians, I'm talking about guys hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand years ago. But they would use this phrase, they would talk about the communion of the saints. The communion of the saints. I think it's a really, it's an old phrase. I don't even know if it's something. It's in the Apostles' Creed. It's kind of where I came across it again. But the old, the old theologians would talk about that sense of unity, togetherness, as the communion of the saints, that the saints were together. And I, I don't know, that I love that phrase. When we look in the book of Acts, though, uh, the writer Luke has a phrase also. And you see it particularly in the early chapters in Acts. And I know there's, there's four times in those early chapters, and there may be some more later in the book. But in the early chapters, when Luke is describing this sense of unity, togetherness, he uses the phrase, in one accord. If you haven't heard of the communion of the saints, if you've read the book of Acts, you go, wait a second. No, I know that one. He talked about describing the unity of the church as the church was in one accord. Actually, it's just actually one word, but in our English, we um, translate it typically in that phrase with one accord. Um, Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to create unity in the church. Uh, that is part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in uh, a local body of believers. When the Holy Spirit is operative in the lives of the people that are a part of the church, the Holy Spirit will create unity this sense of togetherness. And so when Luke talks about the early church, and we're particularly focusing, we've been focusing for weeks now on a passage in, in Acts chapter 2, we know that the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit was doing is the Holy Spirit was creating this sense of togetherness, unity, the communion of the saints, the body of believers were in one accord. And as I studied the book of Acts, and I looked at that unity, I, I, I identified two things that were foundational to the unity of the church. And one of them I talked about last week, we talked about generosity of life. That one of the things that creates, the Holy Spirit produces, is generosity of life. And it becomes foundational to the unity of the church. But this morning, there's a, there's a second component to that. And they work hand in hand. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is that um, he, he leads the church to care for one another. 
That's what I want to talk about today. Last week we talked about generosity of life. And this week I want to talk about that second component which is foundational to the unity of the church. And that is that the early believers cared for one another. And obviously that was something that the Holy Spirit was doing. And so my, my, my truth for the day is simply this, that the Holy Spirit leads us to care for one another. The Holy Spirit leads us to care for one another. We see this in the book of Acts in the early church. And I know we've read these verses. I read most of them last week. But let me start again. And let's see this aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus building the church. And so it says in Acts 2, 44 and 45, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods. That's generosity of life. But the second component of that is in that second phrase in 45, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So there was generosity of life, but what we see in the early church is that that generosity of life led them to care for one another. And so it speaks in verse 45 about they divided them among all. So people were selling possessions, and at this point it just says that they were dividing that. And there's a phrase that he's going to repeat again in chapter 4. It says, as had need, as anyone had need. And so the church collected money and they distributed it to those as anyone had need. Luke repeats this. Turn with me now to chapter 4. And these are verses we looked at last week. Uh, 4, 34 and 35. It says, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. Okay, wait a second. He's, he's already told us this. So this is generosity of life. And it says, and, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And he told us that in chapter 2. Brought it to the church. Here's kind of a, a, a clarification of that in verse 35. And laid them at the apostles' feet. I don't know all that that means, but it's like the offering, and you brought it to the apostles' feet. And so we, when we come to Acts chapter 4, we kind of get a, a new uh, or somewhat of a clarification, further clarification of what was going on. They were bringing it to the church, but they were specifically bringing it to the apostles. And so in verse 35, um, it says, And they, the antecedent to that would be the apostles, distributed, and here's that phrase again, to each one as anyone had need. So I, I know these are very simple. But what we are seeing is the Holy Spirit was leading them to care for one another and not only producing the generosity of life, but also we see that they are caring for those. They are caring for those in need. Now, when we turn to chapter 6, this is a passage that you're probably familiar with we get kind of further details, further development in the story. And this is going to be sometime later than those early days in the church. Um, 
It says, now in those days, this is Acts 6, 1. We're going to read 1 and 2. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, and so there's, the numbers are increasing, there arose a complaint by the Hebrews, the, the Jewish background speaking people, by the Hellenists who were the uh, Greek speaking people in the church. So there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. That's actually the same word. It says that the apostles distributed out. So what were they doing? There was the money that was coming in, at least part of it, they were using to uh, provide livelihood uh, for the widows. Okay, we're going to come back to that truth. But just notice this is kind of a further clarification. And it says in verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So apparently the numbers became so great that they said, Listen, we've got, we've got to find another system here. And so uh, chapter 6, the first deacons are called. What are they tasked with? They're tasked with distributing to the widows what they need. And we're going to come back to that concept of widows. I would have you note that when, by the time we've come to Acts chapter 6, we are focused upon the church in Jerusalem. So obviously Jerusalem is the place that Jesus is crucified. He is resurrected. Jerusalem is the location of the upper room. When on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes and they go out. On the day of Pentecost, there's 3,000 people that are not only saved but baptized. And so there is this multitude of people. Uh, the center of Christianity in these early chapters in Acts is in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, I know you need to make a mental geographical note, Chris, about Jerusalem, okay? We can see it. We know it, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I hate to be that guy. Uh, but... In the early days, Jerusalem is the center of the church, and so you see this system of assistance, of helping those that had need. Now, uh, as the story of Acts progresses, and we're going to move through this kind of quickly, persecution comes. Acts 8.1, where does persecution come to? It comes to the church of Jerusalem. And so Luke records... When persecution came, they scattered. And there becomes, they, they, they go out a number of places, but one of the places they go to is the city of Antioch, which is in Syria. And I'm just telling you, the center of Christianity, starting in Acts 11, becomes not Jerusalem, but Antioch. And so it, it has this little anecdotal story in Acts 11, the end of Acts 11, starting in verse 27. And it relates to the care for one another. And it says, uh, Acts 11, 27, And in those days, I'm sorry, And in these days, prophets came, notice the geographical note here, from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed, and this is by the Spirit, 
that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. I could just call a timeout before I finish my text. Why would the Spirit reveal to a prophet that there was a coming famine? We're going to see the answer to that in the, in the next verses because there were some people who were going to be particularly affected by that that the church needed to care for because the Spirit leads us, the church, to care for one another. And so it says in verse 29, Then the disciples, according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea, which is the region of Jerusalem. And this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So the Spirit of God in the story directs them to move relief from the new center of Christianity, Antioch, to the old center that was under persecution during a time of famine. Who were the needy people? Well, the, the needy people were the original church that was in Jerusalem that had been uh, suffering persecution. And so you see this, this train of thought that we're tracing through the book of Acts about how the church, how the Spirit led them to care for one another. There, there's one other verse, or actually two verses. And once again, it is in Paul's address in, in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders. And it just gives us an allusion to something else that was going on in the book of Acts. So in Acts 22, he speak, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's passing by Ephesus. Uh, he's called them. They're meeting. And there's just this statement he makes in 22-23. He says, and see now... I go bound, notice the phrase, in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, I don't have time to trace this out today, but if you go to Paul's letters, you go, why is Paul bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem? What you see in his epistles and uh, his letters, particularly in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you want to read this, Paul has been collecting an offering for the saints at Jer the Jerusalem church. And he says to the Ephesian elders, I go bound in the Spirit. Even though I know that chains and tribulations wait me there, God has called me to go there. What was the Spirit doing in Paul's life? He was sending an offering from the churches that he had established to go back to the mother church that was suffering persecution. And we don't, we don't see the offering for the Jerusalem saints really detailed in the book of Acts, but we see it in Paul's letters. So, we trace this theme that in the book of Acts that the Spirit is leading the Christians to care for one another as anyone had need. What, what were their needs? Well, um, 
There were the widows. What was their need? Well, death had happened. Their husband had died. And in that culture, they were not, there was no system to take care of them. In fact, in Judaism, there was a system to take care of the widows. But all of a sudden, no, they had become Christians. Who takes care of us? Well, the church took care of the widows. And so you see this, that sometimes the needs surface because of death. And that is certainly the case of the widows. Sometimes it's just circumstances that really are regional. And you get that sense when uh, in Acts 11 there's a famine. Sometimes there are circumstances in life that create need. And so it was in that time of famine. Sometimes it's about opposition. I think that's certainly true of the Jerusalem church. That why the care for the church kept going back to Jerusalem because it was the mother church, it was the historic church, but it was the place that was kind of the hotbed of opposition and persecution. And so what, was the, what did the need come from? It came from the fact that there was persecution. And what does the church do? Well, the church takes care of its own. And so in the midst of opposition and persecution, the church sent aid. Sometimes there's situations in life um, I, don't, I don't know, maybe because they had become Christians, they had lost their jobs. There's other situations in life, it's just illness. What I realize, if, if on the first day you go from 120 in the upper room to 3,000 new believers, if you have 3,120 people that are a part of the church, life happens. That's why it's just this, this general phrase, as anyone had need, what were the needs? Well, there, there's... Over 3,000 people, there's going to be needs. There's life, there's illness, there's death, there's things that come up. What does the church do? The church cares for its own. We see this pattern in the book of Acts. The thing I want you to note is that the generosity of life that we talked about last Sunday is directed to the needy. The pattern in the book of Acts is that the generosity of life, which is part of the foundation of unity, that generosity of life is directed to the needy. Uh, wherever the church saw a need, it cared for that need, that's what, it, that's what the church did. Now, there's, two, there's, there's three pictures that I can think of of the church. Uh, uh, so these are kind of word pictures. The church is pictured as a body. A body. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, the church is pictured as a family. Uh, the third one that I'm not going to talk about, it talks about the church being a building that's being built, a spiritual building. But as I thought about this, and this idea that the generosity of life, the Spirit led that generosity of life to be directed to the needy, it's, it's bore out in these images. If you just think about the church being pictured as a body, when the part of a body has a problem... The need, the care is directed towards that. 
Now, y'all know I turned 60 this year, and I had a ladder incident. It was relatively minor. The kids have taken away the ladders from me. I understand I could hurt myself. Um, but let me just tell you, I, I injured my ankle pretty seriously. And let me tell you, all of the focus of my mind and my life was on that left ankle. Why? Because it was the part of the body that was hurting and needed attention. And so when, when Paul talks about the church as a body, and I, I think of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, this, this word picture of the church helps us understand this truth that is being lived out in the book of Acts of how the generosity of life was directed towards the needy because he talks about in Acts 12 about that the body, there are many members, but all those members are interconnected. So the body of Christ, I'm sorry, the church is like the body of Christ and we are different members and obviously I'm the loud mouth, you know, we all have a place. Uh... I'm not going to continue that joke any further. It's only going to, I'm going to say something I regret. So uh, I'm the loud mouth, and so, you know, that's it. Uh, but all of us, but it takes all of us, and we're interconnected to make the body, right? Well, when, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, he said in verse 25, he says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And then he says in verse 26, if any one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And so this principle of the generosity of life being directed to the needy is bore out in the, in the, in the imagery of the body. When a member of your body hurts, you direct your attention, your care to that part, right? Well, I think this, this, this same idea happens when we talk about um, the body being a family and uh, if you talk about family I think generally uh, we see this concept when the New Testament writers talk about us being brothers and sisters in Christ right or as I my old preacher joke the brethren and the sistren you know I'm sorry listen I can be corny if I want to. I come from corny people, okay? Somebody in this room appreciates that humor. Anyhow, so there's the brethren and, and the sistren. Not really. But anyhow, there's brothers and sisters in Christ. It is this concept that we are, we are a family. What do we do as a family? And we've just had a family get-together this weekend. What do we do in a family when there is a member of the family that is hurting is in a circumstance what do we do we focus our attention on that family member and we, we rally that's what families do we, we care for one another and of course John has this imagery and I think about his words when he's talking about love in 1 John 3. He starts in verse 16. He says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, 
family members. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed, in action, and in truth. Uh, when a member of the family is hurting, we care for that member uh, in practical ways. Um, the one other concept is, is the phrase one another. Um, the Holy Spirit leads us to care for, we've talked about caring for, we're going to come back to it, one another. I don't know in a lot of literature whether this phrase one another is, is prominent, but it is prominent in the New Testament. The New Testament talks a lot about one another. Um, I learned in Greek 101 that the pronoun one another is called a reciprocal pronoun. You know, I'm uh, 19 years of age. Uh, Learning some grammar, some English grammar. You know how I learned English grammar? I took Greek. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a reciprocal pronoun. Never heard that before. Why is one another a reciprocal pronoun? Because it is the pronoun that speaks of a reciprocal relationship between those that are being described by that pronoun. It is one another. And you, you see a whole series of these. In the New Testament, um, I, I just, this is off, this is just a quick study. Five minutes in my office. Serve one another, submit to one another, edify one another, admonish one another, be kind to one another, comfort one another, consider one another, encourage one another, esteem one another, accept one another, honor one another. And then the biggie, in John, and I'm assuming y'all's life group lessons are the same as ours, and uh, Bruce, I was just like zipping my tongue this morning. I was like, mm, I'm not going to talk about that verse because I'm going to talk about it in my sermon. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. This is John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Uh, so if maybe if there's one that we really went, oh, no, I know that one. <laughs> we are to love one another. I'm intrigued by this, this idea of why was it a new commandment? If you've been here 23 years, I've addressed this question three times before. Uh, and I've said this. Love was not new. The commandment to love was not new. But Jesus said what the, the commandment is new because I'm commanding you the Old Testament said, love your neighbor. Jesus said, no, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Well, I, verse 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Well, that, that's a pretty big idea. 
And I, I think the newness, the new aspect of the commandment was the one another. Jesus said, love one another. It is to be that reciprocal relationship in which you are caring for one another. And yes, the generosity of life is directed to the needy. But what Jesus said, and we see bore out in the book of Acts, and don't, don't distort what I'm about to say. The focus was to be within the body of Christ. Now, you're going to say, well, we don't care for those outside the church. Yes, we do. Just stay on point here. Jesus said specifically, love one another within the body of Christ. Care for one another. The needy within your midst, make sure you take care of them. And when you take care of them, the world's going to look and see that you are a follower of Jesus Christ because you love one another. And so the Holy Spirit, we see in the book of Acts, builds the church by leading us to care for one another. Generosity of life coupled with caring for one another, and that generosity of life is directed to caring for the needy among us, becomes a foundation of unity that creates the communion of the saints, the church being in one accord. Hmm. I've only got a few short parting shots here, people. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> I can say this, Randy, because I've been here 23 years. Okay, so let me just say it. <laughs> if a person is filled with, directed, and led by the Holy Spirit, they will love the church. And care for the members of the church. It's evidenced in the book of Acts. It's taught in the scripture. Jesus said love one another. Are we to love people outside the church? For sure. But Jesus said but you're, they're going to know that you're my follower. Did you hear me? If a person is filled with, led by, directed by, the Holy Spirit, they will love the church. One of the flaws of American Christianity is an emphasis upon individualism. It is a flaw in the Christianity that we were raised in. Individualism is American it is not particularly Christian. But we've mixed our culture with our Christianity. And we have come out with a Christianity that says it's about Jesus and me. It's not biblical. If a person is led by the Holy Spirit, they will love the church and I'm not talking about the institution of the church. I'm talking about the people in the church. 
I have more to say later. But I'll save that for later. The Holy Spirit was leading them to care for one another. And by that, the Holy Spirit was building the church. Unity is founded upon generosity of life and a care for one another. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand with me this morning. Um, Father, today we would pray that the world would know that we are followers of Jesus by the reality they see in our lives that we love one another. And so, Father, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. You would bind us together. That, Father, you would create unity in our church. Um, and, Father, there would be, out of that unity, there would be boldness. There would be strength. There would be power. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would do his work in our lives in the days to come. And we trust that to you. In Jesus' name, amen.